to the latest edition of the RBC podcast, Veterinary Science on the Move. My name's Mark Cleesby, and today I'm talking with Dr. Holger Volk of the RBC's Neurology Referral Unit about therapeutics of canine epilepsy and a new clinical trial he's about to undertake testing the efficacy of a new anti-epileptic drug in dogs. Okay, Holger, thanks very much for joining us today. Okay, so when you're treating a, a case of epilepsy, what are the targets in terms of frequency of fits or therapeutic targets that you're aiming for? Um, what we are trying to do um, when we're treating animals is actually to reduce the, uh, the seizure, the frequency of the fits. And um, for a, a drug to work properly, you have to have at least 50% or more reduction in the seizure frequency. So if you have two seizures a month, then you want to have less than one seizure a month. However, obviously, if you have an animal who would have 100 seizures a month and it's, it's 50 um, or 49 seizures a month, it's still not, not great for the animal. So um, you have to get, get that bumped up. But looking at and when we think that the drug is working, it's normally um, more than 50% reduction of seizure frequency. Okay, and uh, phenobarbitone is obviously still a very effective drug and widely used, along with potassium bromide. And we've we've discussed these drugs uh, in in a little bit of depth uh, in a previous podcast with Kate Chandler. But perhaps you could tell us how effective they are, just as a a brief summary, as as a monotherapy. Yeah. I mean, the the thing is, it's actually a very very good question because um, again, what 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 we are lacking and this. Similar actually in humans where they try to get more and more prospective um, data out there, looking actually more doing a drug trial and looking in the future how, how the drug is working. What we have in, in veterinary medicine is actually only data looking backwards. So you're looking at the, the records of clinical caseload. Um, yeah. and, and by looking at that, people have the paper, the key papers which are out there, show you that when you're using phenobarbitone as a first-line drug, um, that two-thirds of the animals will respond to this drug. For potassium bromide, we don't have so much of an ev- evidence for monotherapy, but it's, it's commonly used by uh, clinicians, and some people would even say they prefer potassium bromide as a drug um, compared to phenobarbitone. And uh, what sort of monitoring mechanisms are you using uh, to, to, to look at progress in treatment other than purely uh, reduction in, uh, in seizure frequency? Yeah, I mean, um, obviously, like you said, seizure frequency is, is the key one, and I think it's always very important that owners actually record how many seizures they have to have an objective measurement of, of really what's happening, because a seizure is a quite frightening um, episode. And, and, and I definitely recall when um, 12 years ago when I saw my dog having the first fit. I was, I was even a vet student at that time, and I was frightened a lot and, and, and I didn't know what to do. So it's really good to just make sure that you write down the seizures, how, when they happen, did they change how they look like, is there anything associated with them, can they be triggered for example by flashing light or by a certain sound, can they be startled. And the other things is what we are looking at is, is to make sure that we, we don't go too high with, with the drug levels in the blood. Mm-hmm. Obviously Again, this is uh, the therapeutic range uh, comes mainly from the human um, medicine, and then we extrapolated it for um, for the animals. And um, we know that over a certain drug level, you are more likely to have side effects, especially with phenobarbitone. So, if an animal responds very well to a low dose, um, even if it's below the therapeutic range, I would not increase the dose. Um, however, if the dog doesn't respond, I increase it until I think there's limitation because of the side effects. Okay, so what sort of side effects are we talking about here? I mean, the side effects, they're, they're 
quite quite a lot um, for phenobarbitone and potassium bromide. I mean, let's look just at phenobarbitone in the first place. It um, a lot of animals are a lot more sleepy. I mean, the first development of the drug was uh, with looking at a sleeping medication for humans. So they get more sleepy, they're less um, active, they get wobbly, they get ataxic, they start to drink more. Uh, because of drinking more, they also have to urinate more. And that's, that's actually one of the uh, quite severe ones. I mean, it's perhaps not such a big side effect looking at it in general. However, if you think about it, and if your animal gets older, perhaps it starts urinating into the house because it can't hold the urine so long anymore, and still urinating in the uh, in the house is the number one um, killer for animals in in the UK. So right. it is a really big problem. And thinking about your nice little white carpet, uh, a dog leaking on it. Um, I mean, you can tolerate it the first day, but what happens after five, six times? Mm-hmm. Um, furthermore, they also start to eat more. They gain weight. They get even more lethargic. And with phenobarbitone, um, you can also get uh, problems with your liver. You get um, hepatotoxicity, especially in higher doses. Potassium bromide has quite similar um, side effect profile. I think it makes um, probably the animals more wobbly um, than phenobarbitone does, and it has less, I mean, has no side effects really on, on the liver. A side effect which, which both of them can have is that they get problems with their pancreas, with, um, that they get actually an inflammation of that. has never been 100% proven, but again, right. it's, it's a quite suspicion. a big, big, big side effect profile. Okay, so in terms of blood sampling then to, to get the appropriate therapeutic range, is that something that you're doing regularly throughout their treatment or just in the initial phase? We, we do that, um, especially in the beginning, to see if they get um, into the right kind of blood levels. And then we, we do that every six uh, months to eight months and um, just to make sure that the drug levels are stable. It also can help us to see if actually the animal is receiving the drug in an appropriate manner because, I mean, one can forget to give the drugs uh, regularly and things like that. And also to see, for example, as an indication, um, could be that, you know, the metabolism in the liver, for example, changes and suddenly the drug levels go um, up or down um, rapidly. Mm-hmm. How do we think that phenobarbitone and potassium bromide are working? Do we know the sort of mechanism of action, the pharmacological target? One idea is that, that um, in epilepsy you have a, an imbalance between an inhibition and an excitation. So like an, if you think about a yin-yang, so you have a balance between two sides, a plus and a minus, water and fire if you want. And um, if one of them are in imbalance, you can get actually too much fire. Either you have a lack of water or um, you have to get too much fire in the brain. And because of that, you get into a hypersynchronicity. So a lot of neurons are firing at the same time and then causing um, a seizure event. And what we are using in in animals at the moment is mainly looking at the target of uh, making the the water bigger, making more sure that you have more inhibition and dampening um, the brain activity a little bit, making sure that you don't have a spread of seizure activity. I suppose we're mainly talking about dogs at the moment, but uh, is there much of a difference in how you approach a case of seizures in cats? Cats are are, are really um, interesting and really challenging. Uh, cats have a little bit different types of seizures in our experience. There's still a big debate in the science community if they actually have idiopathic epilepsy or if they um, have a, a more likely what we call a possible symptomatic or cryptogenic epilepsy, which means that they have a pathological background which we can't identify nowadays with our imaging toys and 
um, with our blood works. And by saying that, um, and why we think that this might be a reason, is because a lot of cats actually have just focal seizure events. So they, they just have a, a part of the brain causing um, a dysfunction. And, and we know from human medicine and also in cats, it can be rather challenging to treat uh, partial seizures, focal seizures, more challenging than generalized seizure activity. Right. And the one thing, it gets more challenging. I mean, phenobarbitone is, is still, I think, the first-line um, drug for, for cats. Um, it used to be diazepam, but um, people came away from that because there were quite a lot of cats dying from a very severe uh, liver problem, a, a fulminant hepatonecrosis. And so people went away from that. We still use that perhaps as a first-line treatment for Staphylococcus in cats because it's, it's, the, it's the number one choice. But we are more re- reluctant to use this in a, in a chronic and a long-term perspective. Potassium bromide, on the other hand, in cats can cause um, asthma-like um, signs, so the ca- cats start coughing. It, we, we actually did a trial quite a while ago now here where we looked at it, and it had a very good efficacy in cats, but um, 70% of the cats were coughing uh, when we were giving the drugs, and right. obviously that's also not, not the ideal situation. From the newer antibileptic drugs at the moment, uh, it's called the drug called Capralivitiracetam, which which looks to be very promising in cats, but because of the cascade, that would be um, a second line choice in the UK. Yes, that's the prescribing cascade. That means you can only at the first line prescribe drugs which are uh, licensed specifically for that condition in that species. Yeah. Okay. Leaving that aside, then, and talking in terms of other alternatives to uh, phenobarbitone and, and potassium bromide, there there does seem to be quite a few out there, at least in the human literature. Are some of these now being adopted for for animals? Yeah, I mean, there have been in the in the last couple of years um, quite a few studies. Um, on, we also did one, and um, there are um, drugs like, for example, gabapentin, which has been used in in humans um, successfully, not only for epilepsy, but also for um, controlling a certain type of pain, um, has been shown by um, groups to be efficacious in animals which do not respond to phenobarbitone and or potassium bromide. I think then uh, another one uh, was sunizambite, which um, again worked, worked really well, especially initially but then some, some animals um, came back. And we, we did a, a trial um, looking into levetiracetam capra, which is a very um, popular drug in, in human medicine. It's mm-hmm. very safe. It has re- a very good uh, side effect profile. It doesn't get metabolized over the liver. It has a very good bioavailability, meaning that when you take the drug, um, nearly 100% of the drug gets into the uh, bloodstream. So... That was definitely very promising, um, looking at into that drug. Um, however, um, again, this drug had a, a honeymoon effect, and that, um, that means that in the beginning it worked beautifully, and then after six, seven months, animals came back because they had a not as good response anymore. Um, sadly, the other trials um, out there, apart from zonizamide, which also showed something similar, that in the initial phase they responded very well, but then on the long term, they didn't respond um, as well anymore. But, for example, for gabapentin, we don't know how long the efficacy will last. Okay, so tolerance is a bit of a problem with some of these drugs then, potentially. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really difficult to say why those drugs uh, drugs don't work after a while anymore. It mm. might be that they get metabolized quicker. It might be that they lose their effect on the target. 
Um, it might be that the epilepsy, the, the response of the brain tissue itself, gets so much worse that the, the tissue gets pharmacoresistant. And, and that's definitely, definitely a challenge, um, we, which on, not only we face, but also the human uh, world faces. Um, and, and, and medical treatment is, is sometimes, you know, is not successful, and then people have to have surgery for epilepsy, which we are not providing yet for animals. Okay. And are you using the, the sort of newer uh, generation of drugs on their own, or are these designed to sort of supplement phenobarbitone and reduce the dose of that, for example? Yeah, I mean, like like you said in, in the beginning, it's it's um, because of the um, cascade. So that we have to use first a drug which is directly licensed for animals for that condition here. In this case, epilepsy. So we have to use phenobarbitone, and then we can add on other drugs. Mm -hmm. um, the, the thing is that that's why we always use them as an add-on drug to if the other ones are not working. But even using, for example, ivetiracetam as an add-on drug, it was was quite um, interesting to see that actually the animals, for example, um, got less sedated, they were more active again, um, because we could reduce the other drugs too. Okay, so I guess from, from the sounds of it, one of the, the, the reasons why you're happy to, to try out a lot of these new drugs is to try and re find a therapy which induces fewer side effects. Would that be the... The yeah, main driving force. Definitely, definitely. And it's it's quite interesting if you look at the development in the in the human field. Perhaps some of the newer drugs are, are more potent, but I mean the main main difference is that they have a better side effect profile, which is quite quite important if you know if you're a human being and um, um, you're taking phenobarbitone, for example, you would be rather sleepy. You know, you can't be as active in the society. You have all the other side effects. You gain weight. That's obviously a problem, not, uh, which is quite severely. So, giving an, uh, a human being then capra levetiracetam makes they can have a normal life. They are more active. They don't sleep the whole time. Mm -hmm. um, so, in this venue, I mean, they they really um, made big differences. And in in animals, we are still stuck with with quite efficacious drug. I mean, they 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 work in most of the cases. However, because of the side effects, um, we lose quite a lot of animals. Um, and so it's perhaps not as much joy in life for the animal itself, which mm -hmm. I think is, is really important too. You know, they, it's not only um, that they die earlier, we have to, we have to make a decision earlier, but it's, it's also because we actually, the, the animal has to be happy. I mean, epilepsy is a chronic disease. Yes, you have a seizure every, whatever, for example, every two months, but otherwise you are a happy dog. Okay, so you have a, a trial which you're currently recruiting for uh, centred here at the uh, the Royal Veterinary College, um, which involves uh, one of these new generation drugs, which we can't mention by name because it's uh, still under commercial uh, patenting, I, I guess. But what's the story then with this? What are you What are you doing? Yeah, it's it's a drug which which I've not mentioned, like you said before. It's um, it's actually um, we have tried this drug in cases where we. We didn't find any other drug working, and and it, it looked to have um, an effect. And and the the reason why we targeted that drug was because um, we thought that this might be a drug which is quite promising because it has a, a very good side effect profile in, in in humans. And when we used it in in animals again, it, it there were quite uh, uh, two thirds of the animal responded to the drug. Um, we took took that further, and and actually are looking now with the company. Um, in developing this drug as a first-line antiepileptic medication to exactly reduce the side effects and having the same efficacy. 
I mean, one thing what also has to be known is, is if drugs come on the market for humans, they have to go through um, quite strict uh, regulated toxicology studies. And this mm -hmm. drug, for example, when we came into more cooperation with the company, we had, we had the possibility to look into the portfolio of the drug, and, and it looks really, really safe. So it's not only our clinical experience, uh, it's also that we have seen you know, that the data out there from the toxicology st uh, studies, and it, it, it looks to be a, a very, very safe drug. Okay, so what, what data have you got so far in, uh, in patients? When we used it in, in, uh, in the clinics, uh, around two-thirds of the animals got better. The, um, the only um, issue with the drug at, at that time was that it was very cost-intensive, and that's, that's the main limiting factor for the newer generations, because obviously there's a development cost from the drug companies, and, and uh, in human medicine they bumped up the price. Phenobarbital sure. is rather cheap. The newer drugs um, are a, a lot more cost-intensive, and it, if you have a dog, you know, and you have to spend 100 to 200 pounds a month on drug medication, that, that is also a limiting factor. Yeah. So that's why we were so keen to actually develop one which can be used for the veterinary market and have a, a, a very good alternative, um, which, um, so we don't have to be, for example, phenobarbital as the first-line drug. Okay, so how's the study structured that you're setting up at the moment? Yeah, I mean, um, because um, we want to try this drug as a, as a first-line drug, we want to have animals which have seizures which have not been treated apart from diazepam as an emergency treatment. So only animals which have not been on phenobarbital or potassium bromide um, can come on the study. And what, what we are offering is, is a, a full workup, including an MRI scan and, and spinal fluid examination or all those things to make sure that they really are idiopathic epileptic. We also make sure that the animals are monitored over the whole tri period, which is in, in, um, in total a four-month uh, trial, so the three month on on drug and um, uh, one month without, and we also make sure that the animals are safe in this period of time. So it's a backup plan mm -hmm. um, for the animals. So if, for example, be, the animal would not respond, then then we can um, do something about it. Also, after the trial is over, because that is one of the big concerns, we obviously take care of the animal and make sure that they receive the appropriate treatment. Um, so it. It is as safe as it, it can be. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's a new drug, but we have we have tried it before in animals, um, pharmacoresistant to other drugs, and we, we know the toxicology data. There is a mild risk, but like I said, we, we try to minimize this risk um, significantly by, by having a lot of backup uh, in place. Right, so we're talking about dogs and um, any breed? or Any breed, um, only dogs, like you said, um, they have to be between uh, six months and uh, five years, mm -hmm. and um, they should be not below four kilos and not over 50 kilos. Okay, and uh, you obviously therefore looking for, for newly diagnosed epileptics, or you're going to confirm the diagnosis exactly. anyway, and referred from a, a general practitioner or... Yeah, I mean, you have to get... Um, um, we have to have, obviously, the, the referring vet on board, because... Yeah. Um, he is important that we have a good relationship to him. That he, you know, that there's trust between both sides. So it, it definitely has to be um, referring that involved in that he calls us and then we give him information. But also, if owners are interested, they can give us um, a call and and then we we can direct them in the right way. 
Okay, so uh, it's a case of contacting you at uh, the Royal Veterinary College and uh, you can provide further information to the vets or the owners. Or our clinical investigation centre and you can find all the uh, details on on the homepage um, of the trial and and, um, if you have any concerns or... um, you know, want to have any further information? We have also an epilepsy clinic running, so we are dedicating our, one of our neurology services just to epilepsy patients. So um, please feel free to give us a call to get some more information. Okay, well that sounds great, and I'll be very interested to hear uh, myself as well uh, how the trial goes because there's, uh, I think there is obviously a clear need to uh, find some new anti-epileptics with fewer side effects. So uh, Holger, thank you very much indeed. Thanks a lot. And thank you once again for listening to the latest edition of the RVC podcast. If you have a dog that may be relevant for this trial, some contact details for Holger Volk and his colleagues at the RVC will be attached to the podcast. If you have any comments on this podcast or any of the previous uh, ones we've aired, then feel free to drop us a line at podcast.rvc.ac.uk. I hope very much you'll be joining us again next time for the next edition. Thanks very much.